When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one film at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us once again is fellow Bobcat, Melissa Tomczak. Hello, <laughs> Melissa. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. Now, just to give everybody a little bit of backstage color here, so I hope uh, <laughs> I hope I'm not saying anything I shouldn't be saying, Melissa, but you currently are in or near Key West as you are recording this, correct? Yes. Yeah. About an hour away from Key West. And like I said, I've been listening to Key West Philosopher Pirate a lot and just seeing some landmarks that he mentions. And I'm just so happy to be where Bob Dylan has put his feet. (laughs) I am so envious and I am so grateful that you are willing to take time out of your beautiful Key West vacation to do a podcast for Pete's sake. So thank you very much. I'm so excited. I'm, I would do it every day of the week if I could. So all good. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have to say the idea of podcasting from Key West to me sounds like the absolutely perfect life. I have to admit <laughs> yeah. like that's yeah. a combination of all things that I love. So yeah, paradise. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So, well, of course, everybody, you saw from the show notes what we're here to talk about, which is the Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. Man, that's a mouthful. The 2019 <laughs> documentary. Now, if you're listening to this episode the day it drops, it is April 1st. And generally, I am not a particular fan of fooling people or pranks or anything like that. It's just not something I find terribly interesting. But since this episode, as I said, is dropping exactly on April 1st, I just thought it was too perfect to pass up the opportunity to discuss what, well, I mean, your personal fandom may vary, but to discuss what is, I think, Bob Dylan's longest form put on. In in his entire career, some might say Chronicles is that because there's a lot of made up stuff in Chronicles. <laughs> yeah, some people, true. some critics would say his whole career is a put. You know, it all it all depends <laughs> on your point of view. But I always wanted to talk about this. And since Melissa, you were on earlier this year, the first show of 2023, talking about No Direction Home, and you are now, I consider you are our resident Bob Dylan film critic. So oh, I thought we'd have you. you back on to talk about Rolling Thunder review. So first off. When did you watch it? Like as soon as it dropped on Netflix? I don't know if it. I, I watched it right when it dropped. I think I watched it maybe a month later or something like that because I had wanted to watch at the time. Let me think. Oh my gosh. I feel like I watched it, must have watched it during COVID, I think, if I remember right. So it was probably, it was several, it was a while later. And I can't remember why I hadn't watched it yet maybe i didn't have netflix or something but i got the criterion release of it which was so exciting and i watched it with my criterion for the first time and yeah it was and i okay i don't know about you but the first time i watched it i had no idea any of it was false in any way exactly why i was asking you because i wanted to know if if there had been some time between its release and when you watched it you had had a chance to read any of the reviews and learn that uh, some of it is completely made up, but you're saying you didn't, you didn't, you didn't yeah, know that. I, I remember seeing when it came out, re- seeing an article or something talking about it. And, you know, it mentioned something about, uh I think it was a review and in the headline, maybe it didn't mention any of it being false, but I remember afterward, I, I read that same article, but I had avoided it because I just don't like reading reviews and stuff all that much before I watch something. And I just wanted to go in completely uh neutral or blind i guess so but then but during it i i I feel like this is such i don't know we'll get into this more but i feel like this is such an interesting part of the film i don't know if documentary is the word for it but like um it's such an interesting part of the film that as i was watching it i was kind of like finding myself questioning what was going on (laughs) especially the part i'm sure we'll get into it but when sharon stone is like i was wearing a kiss shirt and he had seen them or something. And I was like, that sounds like the timeline doesn't make any sense. And stuff like that. There were little moments where I was like, this is a little bit odd. And I don't know what if what's going on. And I also knew that Ronaldo and Clara was using, like it was using footage from Ronaldo and Clara. So I was like, the whole plot line about the filmmaker wanting to film them. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I feel like I caught on a little bit, but it wasn't until afterward. And I did some research that I knew 
that I really read into which things were true or not. And I still don't know for sure. <laughs> watching watching it now, I I don't know if I remember exactly what is true or not. Gotcha. So I remember I watched it. I actually went over to my friend Dan's house, Dan Eaker. I've mentioned him a bunch of times. We've been seeing Bob Dylan concerts for 30 years together. And we were like, let's watch this together. So we watched it together. And I'm watching it, right? And I'm enjoying it. It's this amazing footage, you know, all the stuff from Ronaldo and Clara. And uh, there's brand new interview footage with Bob. And we'll talk about that. That's you and I both agreed. That's our favorite parts of No Direction Home. Mm-hmm. You know, just Bob talking. So there's more of that here. Uh, in some ways, to me, it's even more interesting uh, than the footage you have in, in No Direction Home, but whatever. But anyway, so I'm watching it, right? And the cast of characters, such as it is, uh, you've got Bob Dylan, and none of these people are named with their names. None of these people are credited with their names, except for Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan as himself. Now, the film opens with a clip from Emilier's film, and it's of a, of a magic trick. So, okay, right then, <laughs> right then and there, right. Martin Scorsese is kind of tipping his hat. And the name of the film, as I pointed out, is Rolling Thunder Review a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese, which immediately again, sort of, I mean, now that's something you just, if you're not really paying attention, you just blow by that. But I, you know, I look at it now and I say, Oh, okay. Well, he's telling Bob Dylan is telling us a story so that therefore we're not beholden to anything really being accurate or true, even though this is about a documentary, but anyway, we've got Bob Dylan, Alan Ginsberg, Patty Smith, Martin Van Hasselberg as Steven Van Dorp. Scarlett Levera, Joan Baez, Robert, Roger McGuinn, Larry Vatso Sloman, Jim Giannopoulos, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, Sam Shepard, David Mansfield, the aforementioned Sharon Stone, Ronnie Hawkins, Annie Waldman, Ronnie Blakely, Joni Mitchell, Chief Rolling Thunder, Chief Mad Bear, Peter Lafarge, Michael Murphy, and Ruben Hurricane Carter, right? So I'm watching this, and it's two and a half hours. So it means, you know, it's a time commitment. So I'm watching this, and the, the first bit is the stuff with Stephen Van Dorp, who's talking about that he was shooting all this footage. And I'm going, wait a minute. Like, I've read a ton of books. I've never heard this guy mentioned. And <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, but I'm like, well, all right. I don't presume to know every single detail. Maybe I missed something. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's why they made a documentary is because they had all this stuff that nobody knew and now they're revealing it. Okay. You know, that's weird, but I went with it. Then we got to the Sharon Stone part. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Sharon? Really? Like, I'm like, I can't. And I remember Dan and I looking at each other like, really? But then <laughs> when we got to Michael Murphy as the politician playing Representative Jack Tanner. Now, Representative Jack Tanner is a character from the Robert Altman HBO miniseries Tanner 88. Which yes. I yes. Oh, my God. I watched yeah. that on VHS and I went, OK, <laughs> moment. Yeah. I do feel a little ashamed. It took me that far into the movie because Michael Murphy doesn't come in. until like I think it the last 40 minutes. It wasn't until that moment that I went, OK. All right, Bob, you got <laughs> all right. You got it's me. So good. It's so good. Yeah. And I think what's so cool about that. So this time watching it, it you said before it had been a really long time since you'd seen it. And it was the same for me. I think I've seen it twice. The first time I watched it, and then I watched it another time. Um, but it, it had been a while, like at least a year. And so I didn't really remember lo- like when I had looked up what was true and what wasn't. Um, I didn't really remember exactly what was except besides the obvious stuff that you mentioned. And I thought about, I was like, okay, maybe I need to do a bunch of research and know what's completely true, what's not, and everything. But then I decided that I didn't want to know, sort of. <laughs> and it's it's sort of fun to, to you know, ha- like you said, have those moments where you think, that doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, catching it. And I love how Scorsese adds in the, um, there's some 80-yard lines yes. with um van dorp and, yes um, yes and bob and a couple of other people who say something when their back is to the camera so you can't really tell yep. and and i feel like those parts to me at least and it was the beginning it was when i started to question the, when i watched it the first time what was true if it was true or not because i feel like you can tell that it's adr like it's pretty obvious and they i don't know i feel like if they wanted to they could have mixed it a little bit better to make it hmm. sound more natural but also what's interesting i'm kind of going off because i'm getting excited but (laughs) what's interesting is it's all presented exactly the same like if you didn't recognize some of the people 
some of the artists, the musicians that play, I feel like when their names come up, when they're being interviewed, you wouldn't know exactly like who's a real person and who's mm-hmm. not. And like maybe the people like the Tanner guy and uh, Van Dorp, they're filmed to me in a little bit of a different way where it seems a little bit more fake they almost look like stock it looks like stock photos or something everything is ex- filmed exactly the same and so it's sort of yeah making you question uh the idea of a documentary and like you mentioned the milliers footage in the beginning the way that ma- it's like not really a magic trick because it's not all done in camera it's done with the camera like it cuts mm-hmm. and that's how they're able to do their magic trick and i think that there's a lot of that's how they do a lot of the quote unquote magic tricks in this movie is, is by the editing, just suggesting things with the editing and with the sound design and things like that. So I, and oh man, it's just so good. Bob talking about, you know, um, if someone's wearing a mask, they're going to tell you the truth. That yeah. sort of thing, so. <laughs> and the whole time he, he doesn't wear a mask the whole time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't, it reminds me of actually, I was thinking about a lot. Have you seen the, um, oh man, I just thought of this, but the Orson Welles film. Uh, yes. I don't even know what you're yeah. going to say, but yes. Oh my I've God. <laughs> what is that film called? Uh, F for fake. F for fake. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. When in the beginning, not to spoil it for anyone, but he says for the next hour, I'm not going to tell a lie to you. And then, but the hour, the film is like an hour and 20 minutes. So <laughs> after an hour, he tells, he, all he does is tell lies for the last 20 minutes. And it kind of reminded me of that, of it's like paying attention to the medium. Like it's about the medium and, and which sort of to me ties back to the nature of the concert series. I don't know. I don't want to keep talking too much, but yeah. No, of course. That, no, no, that's why I, that's why I have you here. I want to hear what you thought <laughs> about this because I, I will say that. For a little while, when I realized that it was that it was fake, or at least parts of it were fake, I was a little baffled as to like, well, then what was the point of this? Like, what? Why are we doing this? Why are we going out of our way to chronicle something and then make it up? And even within the the rules of the documentary, which there aren't any, they shift because you've got Martin Van Hasselberg, who is uh, Bette Midler's husband in real life, and we actually right. do see Bette Midler for one second in some vintage footage of her playing with Bob's that big hat that he had. Uh, they, they've been friends for a long time. He's so he's playing a fake. We've got, you've got a, a guy playing a fake character playing, you know, Martin, Martin Van Hasselberg playing Steven Van Dorp. Then you've got Jim Giannopoulos as the promoter. Jim Giannopoulos is his real name. That's a real mm-hmm. guy, but that's, he was not the promoter of this tour. So he's playing a fake version of himself. You know, and so, and then you've got Michael Murphy, as I mentioned, playing this character that has appeared in something else. So, I mean, it's even again, we even within the uncertain ground that we're in, uh, and I love the reference to F for Fake because they're, those two things are very comparable, I would say. It's, it's Orson is using the medium to lie to you and he's sort of pointing it out. Hey, this whole medium's a lie. So, you know, what, what can you expect from me in terms of the truth here? Even though I'm telling you this is the truth, but maybe that's a lie. So I will admit for a little while, I was a little like, okay, what was the point of bullshitting? I don't understand because like the Rolling Thunder review, but then I was like, well, okay. I mean, the footage is real, the stuff we have from the seventies. And even by just having the interviews and having Bob talk about it, he's revealing something about himself, even though he is trying to pull one over on us by doing that. I mean, what do you take from that? Why, why do you think, why do this? Why make a two and a half hour document i'm putting air quotes here right. documentary if half of it is made up and what why why would you do that and it's like well nobody asked you to do this bob really yeah. and he sounds kind of annoyed that he even has to sit there and answer more of jeff rosen's questions right exactly yeah him saying talking about you know in the beginning when he's he's asked to describe the concert he's like i don't know <laughs> like, yeah, he's annoyed to say <laughs> i i almost feel like i wasn't even born then yeah yeah i almost feel like maybe it's and i haven't i don't even know if i've seen all of ronaldo and clara i you know watched it in chunks it's like four hours long but um but it's almost just because ronaldo and clara was never exactly what he wanted it to be it seems like like it seemed like that was his foray obviously later he he acted and stuff like that but um it seemed like that was sort of his foray into using the medium of film as another means of expression and stuff and it didn't exactly work out you know it didn't get distribution and 
people hate it and hated it at the time and still hate it kind of, um, or just have no idea what it is. But um, it seems like he almost wanted to take the ideas of Ronaldo and Clara and be able to use that footage in the way that he originally wanted to, I guess, like expressing something similar that he wanted to with Ronaldo and Clara or I don't know, maybe something different, but he just wanted to use it in, in one way or another. And I don't know if he, I'm sure he was not the one who approached, who said that he wanted to make this footage, but, you know, whoever it was, Scorsese or, or, or producers or something, but, um, saying, saying that he should do something with this footage. But, um, I don't know, you know, in Ronaldo and Clara, they have Joan Baez plays Bob in a certain part or like different characters play Bob in different parts and like Bob plays someone that's not him and all of this kind of stuff. And it kind of, it reminds me of that in a way where, it's trying to make you question like like you were saying the question question the medium or question what you're you're hearing or or reading or seeing because that seems to be a running theme of of him in general of his music of his lyrics of every his books everything that he does he seems to want you to to question what you're you're looking at and mm. so i don't know and and you know like you said it is partly true but i was there are parts where i question that are presented as more plausible and everything where like, I don't even know if that was true. The specifically the part where they're t- talking about Allen Ginsberg being sort of made to be the, uh, you know, carry the, uh, luggage and stuff like that, sort of be their <laughs> assistant after he gets cut out of the review. And I don't even know if that would be true, you know, like who knows? Cause there's not really a lot, any footage of him talking about that past. I don't know. So I, I don't know. It's just weird. There are so many things where I question whether or not they're true, even if they seem like they're plausible or we see footage of them. Because also when he was filming, when they were filming Ronaldo and Clara, they weren't exactly trying to do a documentary, you know? So that footage alone, like in the first place is sort of, it's like fruit of the poison tree in a way is trying to make a documentary (laughs) out of this, out of that footage. I mean, some people, I think seem to regard it that they're in a straight documentary, like Joan Baez's sequences seem very documentary like she's just telling you what happened she has that marvelous story where she dressed as bob and things like that but that you know she seems to be pretty straightforward again i don't know but and like uh, the scenes with the room in hurricane carter that seemed he seems very genuine you know i don't get the sense that there's any sort of put on in that kind of thing and yeah i mean bob's been doing this across everything certainly in his music but he made up stuff in chronicles and there's even stuff in theme time radio hour that's made up you know, he's, ta- yeah, he's taking, he takes phone calls. How does he take phone calls on a pre-recorded show? You know, and he gets <laughs> emails from people that don't exist. So, I mean, this is par for the course with this guy. Now, I will say any time, uh, and apparently this, like No Direction Home, was started by Jeff Rosen. And then they once again approached Scorsese to sort of compile it. Uh, Scorsese didn't really direct it in any sort of nominal sense. He really was more the editor. Not that that's any sort of a lesser position but but just to be you know specific about it but i will take any footage of bob just talking i i will just take that i and and i actually in some ways like this footage a little more than the stuff in no direction probably just because he's lit better like he's just more He's not so draped in darkness as he was in No Direction Home. But here you see those ridiculously blue eyes of his. Yeah. Oh, man. And and the way he's got that flinty grin. And he seems to be having such a good time uh, yeah, talking always, about it all. He really seems to be enjoying himself. Yeah, I saw this. I think back when I'm not going to quote it directly because I read this back when I first watched the film. But in, in a review for it, I think in Rolling Stone, they said that some of the the things that are wrong are lies are obvious because Bob is a bad liar. Like he, he has like a look on his face the whole time. That's a little bit of like a shit eating grin, you know, <laughs> and I literally wrote down not to, I literally wrote down in my notes, Bob looks so fly. He's so awesome <laughs> because I don't know. He's just so cool <laughs> when in those interviews, in the parts when they're interviewing in the sort of present day parts because like we were saying before he just seems so over it but at the same time like you said it seems like he's having a good time and maybe that's because you know either Jeff Rosen or Scorsese or somebody said 
or maybe he did, I don't know, someone said, hey, we should actually, you know, lie a little bit and we should do this and, like, this is how we should present the film rather than a straight-up documentary. And he probably was, obviously, is more into that. So maybe that's why he's having a better time. But, yeah, it's kind of fun. You know, there are parts when he's talking where, to me, it seems it's coming from a genuine place. The part when he, at the very end, one of my favorite parts when he says... Uh, what's left of this tour? Uh, absolutely nothing. Ashes, nothing. like the part is like, <laughs> yeah, nothing. Ashes. Um, it's so good because that those things seem like they're coming from a genuine place, and at the same time, he's getting to sort of play around a little, which seems like he he enjoys to do that. So it's fun. <laughs> By the way, uh, he's so fly. He's so awesome. Should be the pull quote on the Criterion <laughs> Blu-ray. They just have that. On the, on yeah, absolutely. Melissa Tomczak. Absolutely. <laughs> you should do that. I'll yeah, take it. I'll take it. <laughs> totally. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it really said it's, it's so fun to watch him. And it's interesting how it's one of, okay. One of the things that this documentary gets at that I think no direction home doesn't do. And uh, I'm not saying that in a bad way, like it should have done it or didn't do it. But one of the things this, this documentary gets at that has always been something that I've noticed over the years is that I feel like um, when other creative people are around Bob, I have a, I get, and this is a totally naturally uh, natural thing to do, but I feel like when there are other people around Bob, that are of a creative bent or on the same sort of path as him. Like they're going to be on stage or they're going to read a book or there's something involving the creative arts. There's a little bit of showing off. I feel Mm -hmm. like I don't feel like you see much of that in no direction home because it's a slightly different story, but this there's footage of some people and I don't want to get into who, because I don't want to knock anybody because that's not why I, I, that's why I'm here, but there's footage of some people where I feel like they are just being, catastrophically pretentious mm-hmm. and and it's it's like because they're trying to show off a little bit because they're all intimidated because they're around bob dylan you know and that's <laughs> natural i'm sure if i was around bob dylan i would try to be as clever and interesting as possible and it would fail miserably because then you're in your own head you know you're not yeah. just being natural but i and then they even cop to that where they talk about some of the people who are kind of showing off for bob a little bit and they cut to Bob kind of talking about that. And then even like the bit about Alan Ginsberg where, you know, they were like, Oh, he was a father figure. Cut to Bob. No, he was not a father figure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I love <laughs> but he was a marvelous dancer. He was yeah. a great, like he's talking about this, you know, renowned man of, of words. And that's the compliment you're giving him is that he was a good yeah. dancer. It's so, it, and yeah, there was a part where I don't remember who says it. I, maybe it's Joan Baez. I don't, Maybe. I don't think so. But someone was just talking about how, yeah, it was, it got sort of annoying because people, everyone was trying to, and they talk about this in No Direction Home too, but in the earlier years, when everyone just wanted to be around him all the time and everyone wanted to impress him or be part of his, his sort of entourage. And so it got sort of I guess competitive is the word, but, um, how could it not, you know? It's yeah. Natural. Yeah. And, but I understand it. And if it's like, it, what's always really funny to me about that is that it always, whether it's from the old footage or from, for, from the recent document or the recent interview footage, it's so funny when it cuts to him and he, he seems so oblivious to any of that going on or <laughs> it not, if not oblivious, then he just doesn't care and he doesn't notice if people are trying to show off because oh my god it made me laugh so hard because honestly it was so relatable when that i don't even know who it was but that woman was talking to him and they were at a party or something and she was talking to him and he started talking about marriage but in a spiritual way and she was mm-hmm. just looking at him like trying desperately to get his attention <laughs> and he's just is he could completely could not either doesn't care or just doesn't notice because he's seems kind of oblivious to that sort of thing and it made me laugh so hard because afterwards when they're still filming her and also that part i wasn't sure if it was i think they even question in it if it was scripted or not but she says that it's not but they're talking to her afterwards she's like i don't know and then we just started talking about marriage out of nowhere like she was kind of geeking out about talking to him which is so awesome (laughs) and so relatable (laughs) yeah i don't know it's funny because I don't know. Hopefully people trying to show off also makes people make their creative output really, really incredible. Cause watching some of the performances, it's like, I would kill someone to be there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like when Joni Mitchell plays, like room. just that, that single on Joni yeah. Mitchell. That's good. They just, 
They oh, stop everything so they're doing, good. just put the camera on her and watch her play. And you're like, oh, shit, she's bringing mm-hmm. it. You know, <laughs> she's really bringing it here. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. You know, totally. But yeah, I see. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that part uh, where toward the end when they're performing. Oh, man, what are they performing? What is that song called? Oh, my God. I'm so dumb. The song that's. Romance and Durango, Isis. The, the song that's from the film. <laughs> It's like his most fa- fa- famous song of all time, and I can't remember the name because I'm under pressure. Hold on, hold Knocking on. Knocking on Heaven's Door? <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, with all the rewritten words. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so dumb. Yeah, um, when they're performing that, and all of them are singing together, and they all look super coked out. And oh, insane, my God. They, they look like they're cocaine having so bear. Time. Holy shit. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. McGuinn looks like he's ready to murder somebody. He's really scary. Yeah, it's crazy. But when he when he sings, it's so good. Um, like that. Oh, that's one of my favorite perform like songs or performances in the whole thing. It's so good. Well, that I mean, again, aside from all the interviews and all the you know the folder all or whatever, it does feature this amazing footage. And you got to think, you know, that when this was shot seventy five, seventy six, it wasn't like people had little handheld digital cameras to roam the stage. They had to have had pretty big setups and yet right. it's pr- pretty unobtrusive i mean you know that's it it is a it is staggering to me and there, there i'm sure there's a reason for it but it is staggering to me that ronaldo and calera has not been released at this point that it has yeah. just not been given a digital you know clean it up say the filming must exist somewhere clean it up and put it out on blu-ray as the bootleg series volume 19 like i mean what what are we waiting for here Come yeah on. clearly it exists because they had all this footage that's yeah. just like if they have all the extra footage laying around they have to have at least one negative of yeah of the film as a whole and yeah i'm waiting for criterion to release it or something because i feel like they would do that and restore it and everything yeah the re- restoration of this fo- footage looks amazing it's so gorgeous all the colors look so good and i don't know how much you know they changed when they were restoring it, but it looks so good. And yeah, I feel like there was only one time where I noticed, you know, where you could see a cameraman on the stage or, or in front of the camera. And that was when they were at, I don't know where it was, but when they were, they were at the Native American center when they were performing mm-hmm. and yeah. you could see the, them filming. And then you could see the sound guy, which I was kind of amazed throughout the whole thing how well you could hear people talking and stuff how clean the sound was and that was another reason where some of it i was questioning if they were really saying that because i was like how did they get the sound so clear you know Mm -hmm. i don't think they had lav mics on them or anything and but i don't it sounds great too so that footage and everything must have been kept really wet stored really really well because it sounds amazing and it looks amazing Right. I mean, that's, that's so funny is that Bob, for, he keeps professing that he doesn't care about his past, you know, that like, that's all, as he says, it's ashes. It doesn't matter. But this footage, all this footage is not kept in some storage locker somewhere in perfectly. And we all know, like, you got to keep filming like the exact right temperature. Like you can't just, you know, put it in a basement. It's got to be like, there is money and effort spent to keep this footage looking as good as it does. And that doesn't come without Bob's at the very least approval, maybe not his direct effort, but he wouldn't, you know, if, if he wanted that stuff destroyed, it would have been destroyed. He would have had the ultimate say if, if he really wanted, if he was so embarrassed about Ronaldo and Clara's uh, its reception, going to burn the negative, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick famously did that of, you know, the, like the missing scenes from the shining. He literally took it out of the backyard and set it on fire, but Bob didn't do that. This stuff has been kept in a perfect condition and given cleaned up. And so obviously on some level, he does care that this stuff is being preserved because it looks so good. It looks, I mean, the stuff about the kid, like even that scene where he is, he's playing at, I don't, I don't, they don't identify where it is, but it looks like it's like a, almost like a, like a VF, like a VFW hall kind yeah. of thing where there's just these older people. Right. And, yeah. That was so cool, weird. Doing that up tempo version of Simple Twist of Fate, which is terrific, by the way. But like, you know, he's just banging this out and the camera is like right up in his face. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's got to be a guy with a giant camera looming over him and it's, you wouldn't know it. You don't get the sense that any of them are kind of, you know, I mean, I get this point. They've all been used to being on camera and on stage for many years. So it's probably second nature to them. 
but you don't ever get you don't ever get the sense that they're that the cameramen are being obtrusive in any way, which is amazing again, considering how you know, bulky that equipment had to have been in nineteen seventy five yeah i I was thinking about that too about how I feel like with don't look back, there is a lot of discussion of uh the observational documentary genre in general, but um also around specifically that film about how much the presence of the camera is affecting the behavior of the people in front of it. Mm -hmm. And which is, I think a super interesting conversation, especially in don't look back how it does seem like no one's really paying attention to it. And, you know, they just kind of disappear after a while and you don't think about it and don't notice. But I feel like it's always going to be there in the back of your mind that there's a camera on you, especially when, like you were saying, they've got to be these big film cameras that are, kind of also loud because of the film going through it. And just there's also, it looked like there was also a sound guy with a boom and everything. So they had to be aware of them on some level. And then also they all knew that they were trying to film Ronaldo and Clara. So <laughs> it makes me wonder like, yeah, that, that was another reason why I was trying to decide if these were their real personalities or, you know, were they doing this for the purposes of Ronaldo and Clara or were they, actually i feel like the only time and maybe this is an important part of it i feel like the only time where i don't question if someone is acting or putting you on in any way is when they're performing on stage which i think is maybe the most important part of the film and maybe to the everything everything everyone was saying that's that was their most important part too was the performing and the art that they were making because even if even when i remember when the first time i watched it um and since the first time I watched it, the part where it shows the girl in the crowd who right after the concerts ended, she kind of looks around and then she starts sobbing, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is so me. I definitely did something like that <laughs> at one of his concerts. Um, that's so relatable. And I never even questioned it until I was watching it this time. And I was like, was that fake? <laughs> like, <laughs> the camera was right there in her face and she didn't even look at it. And I was like, so I don't know. I, I think it's interesting the whole time kind of questioning what's what's set up and, and what's not and who's telling the truth and everything. And I don't know. And the presence of the camera, I think, is something that not a lot of people think about when they watch a documentary or something at least that's framed as a documentary. But it's probably the most important part when it comes to observational documentary. Yeah. I mean, right. So the minute the minute you put a camera on something, you're going to alter what you're viewing because it's just the simple nature of this person knows they're being recorded now and they're going to, they're going to probably change their behavior. Even if they don't know they're doing it, they're probably going to do it. It's yeah, just exactly. natural. I mean, you're going to tense up or you're going to, you know, show off or whatever, you know, it all depends. I mean, there's that, the whole bit about the, you mentioned the woman talking about marriage where she's like, you know, when Superman puts a lump of coal in his hand and he crushes it and turns it into a diamond and, Bob's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of yeah, he's like not even paying attention. <laughs> like, this is your chance to talk to Bob Dylan, and this is what you're talking to him about. It's like, okay, yeah. fine. Um, I will say, I, I mean, it, maybe Bob doesn't want Ronaldo and Clara released because it's too personal, and it does feature his wife, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that could, right around the time of the divorce, I could see why maybe that. But I would think that you could, at the very least, just pair all of it down to the concert footage and put that out because again, the stuff we see in the, the knock on heaven's door version with all the words written, rewritten. And I love Bob's face when he's, when McGuinn is singing and he's just kind of like rolling his eyes. He's being very big. It's you know, so intense. Like, yeah. What's, oh, what's, what's, what's going to, what's he going to say next? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all the performances are, are just absolutely fantastic. And it's again, like who wouldn't want to see the now? Not, I mean, not to get off the documentary, but I am curious about wh- in what context did you see Ronaldo and Clara? I mean, obviously you saw Bootleg because it's not available officially anywhere, but was it a DVD? I mean, how did you see it? This is kind of a weird, a weird story, but I mean, it's not that weird. I feel like I definitely could have found it online somewhere, just, you know, on a random website. Mm-hmm. But I, <laughs> I ordered it off of eBay. Like this dude was selling DVDs of it and and he had, you know, he had in the description, this has never been officially released. Like this was recorded off of a v- off of VHS tape when it aired on television and blah, blah, blah. And I was, 
I don't know. It was probably like $10 or something. And to, yeah, to me, eBay is like, I'm like a 45 year old man in 2005 with eBay. Like I love eBay. And so. (laughs) Wait, what does that mean? What does a 45 year old man in 2005 mean? (laughs) I feel like, I feel like middle-aged men loved eBay in 2005 and that's how I am with eBay. I love I, eBay. I feel so seen, Melissa. I, uh, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to call. I'm, that's a read on you, but, um, I love eBay so much. And I was just like scrolling on, e- on eBay. I kind of scroll through eBay. Like people scroll down Facebook marketplace. And gotcha. so I, I saw an eBay and I was like, okay, why not? And so I ordered it and he, it was literally just like the discs in a little, paper case he didn't even give right right he did not write and, I, and it was on two discs i think um if i remember okay. right but because it's so long but anyway yeah i just watched it with that and i just like put it in my dvd player and hoped that i didn't get a virus off of it or something but was it a good print of it it was okay it was probably the best that you could get it wasn't you know it was pretty low quality it was like probably 480p or something okay. but i don't expect i i haven't seen i haven't watched it since since then since i kind of watched some of it when I bought it, but, um, I haven't seen like anything better than that, but I don't know. It was okay. It wasn't okay. the best. The sound was not that great, but the, the reason I ask is because I got a, a, a back when I was working at a video store in the nineties, for God's sakes, um, a friend of mine got me a bootleg of it on VHS. And it was like four tapes, you know, it was like the four hour version or something. Mm-hmm. And I watched it and the quality was so bad. That just the physical act of watching it was difficult. Like just, right. it was so much hum. There was so much hiss. The picture was, as you say, it was probably like a 480p, you know, like just the physical act of watching it was not fun. And I'm sure that colored my view of it because it was mm-hmm. just like, oh God, I'm having to like, what, what is that amorphous blob coming in from the, oh, that's okay. That's David. Yeah. Baseball. You're spending you know? like <laughs> half your energy just knowing what you're looking at. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so to, to, so I walked away from that film. It's like, okay, I don't know what that was. Fine, Bob. But I would like to see it again, just from my own edification. It's like, okay, that was 30 years ago. I'd like to try it again and see it. But again, I, when you see this footage in here looking so crisp and so beautiful, I mean, I've seen films made in the 90s, big budget Hollywood films made in the 90s that look worse than this, mm-hmm. that it is like, come on, guys, put this out. You know, you, we obviously you're calling little bits and pieces from it. And again, the performances we see in it are just fantastic. That Yeah, they're so it's crazy. I don't I don't. You're right. Yeah, it does look so much better than some stuff like it's just I don't know. All the lighting and stuff looks amazing, too. And it seems like they really thought about, you know, from day one with Rolling Thunder, the sort of theatricality of the whole thing. Yeah. Like the carpets the, on the stage. Yeah. They got carpets and how it seems like from what I can tell in, I think it happens three times or something like that. It seems like they always open the concert with Joan and Bob singing something together for like, 30 seconds, a minute before the curtain raises and then hmm. it raises up and there's a light on them. I don't know if you noticed that, but that mm-hmm. was really cool. So they thought, and they, you know, they've got the costumes and Bob seems to pretty much wear the same thing every night. And I don't know. It's so, all the lighting looks so good. And they were clearly thinking about what it was going to look like on film or, you know, whoever the cinematographer was thinking about it. So it looks so good and it transferred so well. And I need Ronaldo and Clara to be made into a HD quality. And I know that they can just waiting, but uh, now I bought at the last Dylan show I went to, maybe the, maybe not the last one, the, maybe the, the one before that. My wife bought me a Rolling Thunder t-shirt because mm-hmm. they were selling Rolling Thunder t-shirt. And then this is only tangentially related. I'm just interested in what you think about this. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of selling merchandise for an event that has long since passed mm-hmm. and it's you're getting people people are walking around like myself are walking around with a rolling thunder t-shirt when i i wasn't there you know right. they, they, this yeah. is this is this is faux vintage mm-hmm. because it doesn't what do you just what do you think about that just as a fan of things what do you do you feel like that's a little shoddy you know it's a I little like know. or do you think it's like ah it's okay it's it, you know what it's not my fault i wasn't alive in 1975 (laughs) to go to these shows and i love it so yeah i feel yeah that's a good question because i haven't exactly thought about that before i have i don't know i i think about in a related way i think about people 
wearing, you know, a band or t-shirt or whatever, just because it's a cool t-shirt or something Mm -hmm. and they don't actually listen to the band. And I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like it's fine, I guess. It, I don't know. I don't like when <laughs> this is just an aesthetic thing, I guess. I don't think it has anything to do with the integrity of the concert or something. But when it's supposed to, I don't know if the teacher that you got does this, but like when they're trying to make it look vintage and so the print already looks kind of weathered or, mm-hmm. or old or something. And so they make it. And I'm like, girl, when I have this in 20 years, it's going to look so bad because, <laughs> because it, you made it look like it's, it was quote unquote like vintage already. But anyway, um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's just whatever. I don't know. It's a little weird to me though. Not weird. It's a little annoying, you know, when bands or whatever sell merchandise and it just playing into, well, maybe that's not true. I was going to say like maybe playing into, whatever will get the money or something like oh let's sell yeah. Rolling Thunder t-shirts because the because this documentary just came out but I don't know I don't really care I like that's fine whatever they gotta make money I guess yeah right it's it's one of those things where I'm like there's some part of me that it does bother me if so like you said if someone walks around wearing something that they clearly don't know what it is they just think but then I'm like well why does it bother me what do I care you know yeah. what I mean like what who gives a shit you know what I mean like what's the difference um yeah. like I said it's not it's I, I you know I had I had a chance to go to the Rolling Thunder tour in 1975 I would have but I was four and I yeah. like, you know it was not going to happen and you know Bob talks about that he disregards his past so so severely but yet he is willing to merchandise parts of it but that's mm-hmm. that's part of being a musician being an actor being a creative person in the 21st century you know where you got to do these things you know you have to be on there and sell these things. I mean, we're not even going to get into the whole auto pen book thing that went on a couple of months ago. <laughs> oh, man. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I love my Rolling Thunder shirt, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't there, but I love it. I know what it is. I have the bootleg series. I've seen this documentary a bunch of times. I do think it's one of his great sort of creative choices that he made to kind of bring this old-timey style show to modern to what was modern America. And there is lots of footage of the context of what America was like in mm-hmm. 1975. Although again, it conf- it purposely confuses you because it bops around, you mm-hmm. know, it shows Nixon resigning. Well, Nixon resigned in 74. That's before the rolling thunder tour ever started. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's yeah. Constant- and they start with the bicentennial right. stuff, which didn't the, didn't the review start in, Late 75. Yeah. 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 And that was the part that I really, I kind of forgot about it because it's so long and I feel like the stuff that sticks with you is a lot of the concert footage and stuff. But I kind of forgot about that, all the context that they give you. Um, and yeah, they show Nixon resigning, but that's like halfway through the film or something as if this was happening while they were on the Mm -hmm. tour. Um, that stuff is so cool though. I love seeing, I don't know, cultural context and things like this because I don't know. It's just, it's just really interesting to see people, you know, people are thinking about the bicentennial and then there's a part where they're talking about how, uh, people in middle America and stuff in small towns don't, don't care about the bicentennial and <laughs> things like that, which is, I don't know. It, yeah. It's so interesting. And I kind of forgot about it the first time. Um, but it is funny. I didn't even think about how they mix it up. I, f- <laughs> I didn't even think about how Nixon. <laughs> They put Nixon resigning like halfway through, but he resigned like two years before. Yeah. It was the band that, tour that that was the big moment because that's when he was singing about the president of the United States must have to stand naked. That's what that was that. Right. Tour that yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. Man, that's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I I don't know, but that's so cool because I mean, it does. It, I feel like it would still be all of that stuff, including the bicentennial, all that kind of thing would still be on the minds of the people there but at the same time i kind of watch that and i'm like i'm not sure how much that's going to affect them experiencing the concert i don't know i think about when when the beatles performed the ed sullivan show in 64 it was like three months after kennedy was assassinated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how everyone people talk about all the time how that was like the first good thing that happened in america since the kennedy you know like lifted the spirits of the young people or something but that it doesn't really give me that same that same vibe i guess with the the rolling thunder review like it it doesn't seem like the context really all all that matters all that much it feels like it would just be just as powerful 
in any other context. I guess besides the fact that he hadn't toured in almost 10 years or something or yeah, 10 years. Well, yeah, just right. I mean, the 74 tour, that was the first one he had done in like eight years. Yeah. And then he was doing these. And they, I mean, he had talked about later on. I don't think he did it. I don't think he gave this interview where he said this until after the fact, but I'm not exactly sure where, when he did that tour with the band and they played the arenas, he said it was the most difficult thing he'd ever done. Yeah. And, and so now obviously the rolling thunder is a you know response to that it was like, okay, we're going to do it intimately. We're going to do these small halls and we're going to, we're going to go from town to town, like these roving gypsies, which of course, Bob, you know, you know, Bob loves that kind of thing. We get footage of Bob Dylan driving a bus which is, you know, for, for us Dylan fanatics, that's fun in its own right. Cause I think you have to be like specially licensed to do that. I don't think anybody probably can drive a bus. And you know, in the seventies, <laughs> he probably did not care. Yeah. In the seventies, <laughs> things were much looser. And I can, I can tell you firsthand things were a lot looser in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's just funny to see him like driving this giant bus through streets. I'm like, God, but if, but imagine getting hit by a bus and then you're like, Hey, you <laughs> said, Oh shit, it's Bob Dylan just hit my. You look like saber, you know. Like, what if yeah, I'd be like, it's okay. You can back over me again if you want. Yeah, it's can fine. I get your picture? You know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like, can you I sign do... my cast? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I do love uh, the ending where the film ends, mm-hmm. and then we get an encore. I just love that. I just so playful. Um, I'm assuming that was Scorsese's idea was the idea of like, okay, well, you know, you've mostly been sitting through kind of a concert here, so let's do an encore. And then we get one more number. And then there is this marvelous end crawl of all of his tour dates. Oh, it's from so year to year. And it just goes on forever. And you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. Of, oh my God. You know, it's so, cra- it, it's so crazy because. It, well, it's insane to see that huge list, like up until the present. But it, it's so funny how I was thinking about this earlier. How it talking about the context of the of the tour and stuff like that, and what was going on in America and stuff. It almost makes it feel like, and the way that people talk about it, the way that they talk about the community aspect, like everyone living together and traveling together and stuff. And it seems like there was a lot of drama going on. It feels like they were on tour for months and months, like if not years you know it feels like they were doing that forever and then you see at the end that they were on tour for like two months maybe and then they took a little break and then they came back for another two Mm -hmm. and it's so funny how that list that comes after rolling thunder completely dwarfs all of the tour in comparison and especially like when you see in one year he does you know 30 40 shows or something oh when they have to reduce some years they have to make the font smaller yeah it's to get crazy. all the dates in. and then and but then i don't know on one hand it makes me feel uh, one interpretation i guess is that related to how he said bob says at the end that there's nothing left for that tour it doesn't mean anything um it was just and in the beginning when he's like i don't know it's just something that we did <laughs> in 1975 or whatever um I feel like it can go along with that and sort of agree with that sentiment. But at the same time, you could read it as sort of putting in context the fact that like two months can feel like years doing the right thing. And yeah. um, it can feel like so much happened in that short amount of time. And you met so many people and you at the end, Allen Ginsberg talks about relationships being healed and things like that um, just because they perform together. And and then on the other hand, a couple of years can feel like two months in comparison, like when nothing changes and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it could be seen either way. Um, but I kind of like the idea of it being the former of it being like, yeah, at the end of the day, it was only like four months of their time. But it was it was a crazy four months, but it's gone now and that's it. Yeah, he's been a performing artist for 60 years mm-hmm. and he did this for like four or five months. You're like, well, yeah, yeah. okay. You know, <laughs> but like it's yeah. to, to someone like that. It's a blip. It's a total blip. And I, I mean, I will say I completely nerded out the, the second time around watching the film where I knew that the shows were going to be scrawled at the bottom. I'm looking mm-hmm. for the ones I went. <laughs> yeah, you know? I'm like, Oh, Philadelphia in December. I was at that one, you know, just oh, such a so friggin' crazy. nerd about this stuff. But I, I that that just seemed seeing the all the dates put on screen like that one after one card after the next was just sort of staggering to me of like mm. my 
God, the this the the sheer Herculean labor of this to go on and on and on. And think about like how many shows I'm looking at and how many songs per show. You're talking what? Probably twenty songs per show, fifteen songs yeah. per show. But you're talking tens of thousands of performances of individual performances now it's just it's you know there's nothing else like it there just is and it's so, crazy because he like he chose he chooses to do that like he chooses to do it. it's so crazy it's like it's almost i know that there were a couple years in there or like maybe a decade or something you know in the early 2000s or in the 2000 early 2010s where it seemed like he just did not want to be doing it and i heard a lot of people who saw him around that time and let me know i'm i know that you've seen you saw him around that time too so let me know if you feel this way but like people always say oh it seemed like he didn't want to be there i wasn't even sure if he was on stage like Hmm. it was terrible blah 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 that kind of thing but it's like he still continues to do it i don't know his never-ending tour thing it's so it almost feels like it's it's like torture to him almost at least maybe not anymore because it seems like he's a very small group with him but i don't know in the part where and i don't remember her name and i feel bad but um when he's talking to that one woman and he says and he like asks her for help and she real she said that she realized later that he was like he didn't want to be around new people anymore or strangers mm-hmm. anymore or something and it's like why does he keep doing it <laughs> he he seemed like he hated it for a while there, maybe not anymore. Or maybe he loves like the actual performing aspect to put up with the touring part. I, I feel like that's it. I feel like that mm-hmm. it's once he steps on that stage, that's where he wants to be more mm-hmm. than anything else. And all the accoutrement to get to it, that's the grist. You got to get through right. all that to get to it. But when he's standing there with the band and he's trying at any given moment to create something in that in that space, that's what he wants to do. And that's why he's still doing it. That's why he had 81, 81 years old he's still out there doing it right now probably as we're talking yeah. i mean right now as we're speaking he's getting ready for yeah. another show probably in japan or something if he's that to that part of the leg of the tour so um but i love that i just love that touch i just thought that was such a great and it made it it made it present like it was like okay we've been spending the last two and a half hours talking about the past bob himself is dismissing it ashes there's nothing left it's not mm-hmm. but no 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 let's talk about what he's doing now 82, 83, 84, and uh, like those brief periods where there's no concerts, like 83, 84, there's nothing. But it's like 81, 84, 85, 86, and it just goes on. And then it's, no, this guy is still going. He's still on the road. He's still doing it. And so I just thought that was such a marvelous touch for, for Martin Scorsese to add. Um, so at this point, let's get a documentary on, you know, they have footage of the 74 tour. They've got footage of the, you know, the, the Born Again tour. I mean, I'm ready for a two hour documentary or just the Letterman appearance at this point. Let's just do everything. Let's just you know, yeah. let's, let's sick Martin Scorsese on all this footage that's out there. And let's have Bob give interviews about all of it because it's so highly entertaining. Yeah, I feel like after seeing um, after seeing Get Back. I'm spoiled and I'm oh, like, man. I'm like, okay, let's do this with every single artist I love. <laughs> like, let's just, I want to see all the footage. I know it's there and I know it can be restored now. So let's just see it handed over. I'm like so greedy about it now. Can and it's you like, imagine like oh, man. time out of mind, the documentary and it's oh, just my God. And making the record? Like, I would oh. kill to see that for like blood on the tracks or something. Oh my God. Oh my God. You'd, you'd be analyzing it like there's a Pruder film. It would just be. <laughs> yeah completely yeah. insane yeah. and like um, neil young did just i don't know if you heard about it. i haven't seen it because it's i don't think it's available anywhere yet um but neil young just had a sort of get back-esque uh documentary for called harvest time and for oh okay, yeah i've heard harvest. of it yeah. yeah and now i'm like and you know they probably sort of pushed push releasing that because of the popularity of get back and apparently neil young is super uh, like he records everything and saves everything about his oh, life. So, God. which is wow. super lucky for me, who's a Neil Young fan. <laughs> um, no. No. But yeah, it's like, and like we were talking about earlier about him not dwelling on the past. And if he doesn't like doing that, then he would have just gotten rid of it. Yeah. I feel like the existence of the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa is sort of argument against the fact that he wants to completely la- leave the past behind because mm-hmm. he saved all this stuff. I mean, obviously a lot of it was like personal things they probably just save but his willingness to put those things on display is interesting too mm-hmm. i don't know not to like psychoanalyze the man so much hard not to <laughs> I feel hard like not that's to. and when he's so putting real. all this out there he's yeah. asking it to be analyzed because he's putting it out there so yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah i mean good lord they you know when the when the uh, springtime in new york set dropped 
And all of a sudden they had this videos of them, him and Mark Knopfler and the other guys recording infidel songs in the studio. I'm like, where is this footage? Yeah, where has like, this been my whole life? They've been yeah, sitting on this for so 40 long. years. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, we got these giant up close views of them literally cutting the song. Like, you know, so yeah. yeah, all of it. Let's just do all of it, guy. Let's say if you guys want to convert the bootleg series into DV into, into Blu-ray releases and it's all video stuff, fine with me. You know, go right ahead. So, so you know, maybe hopefully uh, we won't wait. We don't have to wait another 10 years for another one of these. Maybe they'll put Marty on on another era of Bob and, and uh, we'll have another great documentary. So, well, uh, Melissa, uh, again, thank you so much for, for being willing to come back so soon. Again, we, we, I had such fun with you talking about no direction home. And then I said, well, I knew we wanted to get to this eventually. And then again, as I said, this, this is Bob at his most sort of playful and, you know, trickery, Loki trickster God kind of thing. And so I thought, well, let's do this for, for April, April Fool's Day. So, yeah, it's a so, great idea. So, thank oh, you so much for coming back. I'm sorry. Can I say one more thing? Oh, of about course, this? of course. There's just one thing. And I wrote it down and I, it was the first time I noticed it this time. And maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but I'm sorry. I just want to say one thing. Did you notice in the section? So like about 10 minutes long when they're talking about Ginsburg and they're talking about Kerouac and everything and they start talking about poetry, how it's edited to flow so that when people are talking they're sort of rhyming and speaking in uh with a ca- like a poetic cadence they're almost like talking in a meter did you notice that it's no so i did not they say uh i think i wrote down some of the quotes bob says and it's during the interview part he says we still remember those words today and then it cuts so they kind of put these together and it says poets now can reach poets now can't reach people that way so that rhymes and then a different part they, he says, uh, my good friend Dave Whitaker gave me this book when in Mid- Minneapolis, ni- 1959. I remember when da- David gave me this, it just blew a hole, di- hole in my mind. And it like, it all kind of flows together. It's so good. And I think the the editing is so amazing in Scorsese and the editor that I, can't, I feel bad. I can't remember the name of, but they did an amazing job and it's so good. And I feel like the way that this presented in a similar way to No Direction Home, it's like, Getting you to question the medium and think about what you're looking at in a way that I think not a lot of people understand or know how to do. It's so cool. I did not notice that at all. That's fantastic. Next time I watch it, I'll have to look out for that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for having me back. It was super fun. I love talking about films and Bob and Martin Scorsese. It's like my three favorite things in the world. And it's awesome. <laughs> the Venn diagram about all three of things. At once. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, again, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, unless I really appreciate it. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you out on the internet? I won't give my Twitter, but you can find me on Twitter if you want to. Okay. Um, on, <laughs> on the pod Dylan Twitter, but, and also I'll shout out my friend Ben, who recently started getting into Bob. Oh boy. And after previously, swearing him off a little bit and he's been getting super into him and i'm very proud and it's been very fun talking about it with him so shout out he said that he would listen to this okay um, right. so if he gets to the end hi ben all right ben you're taking your first steps into a larger world ben you have no <laughs> idea no idea what you're what you're in for well again thank you so much melissa this is always so fun and uh said there's more bob movies related to talk about so who knows we can have you back and we could do our little Cisco and Ebert thing where we're sitting in our seats talking about Bob Dylan on film. So of course, everybody, thank you so much for listening. You can find all the back episodes of the show on our website, frianwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, of which Pod Dylan was a part, you can go to patreon.com slash FW Podcasts, uh, like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel. George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. So before I sign off here, there is one a bit of housekeeping uh, I need to mention that uh, this episode of Pod Dylan is the last episode that will be part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I am a co-founder, and it is the greatest uh, creative bunch of people that I've ever been associated with. And I am sticking with the network with all my other shows. But uh, Pod Dylan is moving to a new network. As of next week, as of the next episode, if everything is set up the way it should be, and sometimes these things can go wrong, you won't notice any difference because I am sure that 99.99% of you listen to the show on a app 
on your phone or whatever. You don't listen to it on the actual website. And so the way we have it arranged, it will just show up next week the way it should, and you won't notice any difference. And we'll talk about where the Moot Show is moving to as of next week. But I do want to just say there was not a lot of crossover between the rest of the Fire and Water Network content and Pod Dylan and audiences. I had some people that have been on some of my shows and have been on Pod Dylan and vice versa, but not a lot, not a lot of uh, crossover because it's mostly comic book stuff and, and other related geekery. And, and so Pod Dylan to me was always slightly an odd fit, but we created this network and part of the idea was it was allowed, it was to allow whoever was a part of the network started out with the five of us and then it's expanded uh, to indulge themselves creatively you know it was all our our motto on the network was find your joy which is we want to talk about stuff that we love we don't do review shows where we're bashing something that's not our we're not interested in that and bob dylan is obviously something i deeply love and even though i knew it was always an odd fit on the network i went ahead and did it and the fellow barn water network all-stars as i call them were completely supportive and have always been so even though i think most of the people that listen to this probably have never sampled another fine weather network show. This show would not exist without the network. And I am forever grateful that I had that opportunity to be part of it. And like I said, I'm going to continue to be part of the network. I have all my other shows that I do. I do fade out mash cast treasury cast for all mankind, all those other shows I do. They're all part of the network and they're all staying there. But pod Dylan, as of next week, will be moving to a new network, which I think will allow the show to grow and, afford me some opportunities that I might not have had before. So I'm really looking forward to this new phase of Pod Dylan, and I hope we can keep the show going for uh, a really long time. So a farewell and a wonderful adieu to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And again, big thanks to the Patreon supporters who I just listed who have been stalwart all these years. That, that list has been incredibly consistent for the last couple of years, and I appreciate all the financial support they have given the show over on our Patreon. It really uh, meant a lot to me. So uh, anyway, again, uh, we will see you next week at a new location. Till then, take it easy, and bye. I wouldn't say it was a uh, traditional review, but it was in the uh, traditional um, form of, uh, of a review. That's all clumsy bullshit.